Hello and welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 10, Target MacGyver. The original air date for this episode was December 22nd, 1985. Um looks like this is another situation where we have a story by uh, a writer mike marvin um and that was later adapted into the teleplay or the script um which is credited to mike marvin stephen candell and james schmierer Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty much the same thing that happened on hellfire but it was uh douglas brooks west correct that wrote the story and then it was rewritten uh, with the assistance of Stephen Candell and James Schmier together. Uh, yeah, who we will see double team more episodes as, as we move through the first season. Um, we have an opening gambit today. Yeah! Hooray! Um, and it's not only do we have an opening gambit, we have one written by Terry Nation, who mm. uh, we previously saw, I believe he wrote The Golden Triangle. Uh, the, the the junkyard one, yeah. He wrote the opening gambit for the junkyard, but also the Thief of Budapest. Oh, the one. horse thief one. Okay, yeah. cool. And uh, this opening gambit was directed by Lee Katzen, who directed I think three episodes in a row. Uh, one of them was credited to Alan Smithy, but as far yeah. as we knew. Um, but I believe Lee Katzen directed the Gauntlet, Correct. the Heist. Yeah, the, the the Heist also and Alan Smithy, uh, but right. Lee Katzen also directed uh, a few of the opening gambits. Right. The again the horse thief one written by Terry Nation, the map one, and written the, by Judy Burns. Yeah, and then the uh, the Basque, uh, the Basque kidnapping one, which is our the last opening gambit that we've had before this one. Correct. We haven't seen an opening gambit in four episodes now. So and this opening gambit is the same. It's weird. It's like a combination. It's the Basque story where there is a kidnapped person who they have to get out. But they're combining it with the junkyard story. Yeah. Because the kidnapped person is essentially an inanimate object. Like, <laughs> in this, yeah. They, yeah, they, like, they, like the briefcase was in the, the junkyard. The, the, Basque, the Basque scientist, or the, the scientist whom the Basque Geologist, kidnapped, yeah. she, she was totally lively and into it. Yeah. Um, so we should, we should uh, first uh, cover these sort of in brief so you know a little bit about what we're talking about. The opening gambit here, MacGyver is hired to locate and rescue a kidnapped general, uh, Lady army general. general, is it? Uh, I couldn't tell. It definitely, definitely American general. I don't know which armed forces, but she's a general in some armed forces, and she is a lady. Um, which at the time, I think they were probably being progressive by having a general who was a female. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, all the progressiveness of the gesture is undone in the <laughs> ensuing thirty years um, when they repeatedly refer to her as Lady General. Yeah, and that's basically the only way she's referred to. She doesn't have a name, as far as we know. She's just Lady General, mm-hmm. and uh, and she has tape over her mouth, and all through this rescue mission, MacGyver doesn't take it off, so she can't speak and explain <laughs> anything. But uh, so MacGyver has to rescue this Lady General. That's the that's the opening gambit here, mm-hmm. and then the episode deals with um, MacGyver uh, had a mission somewhere in the Middle East, and as a result of that mission, he is being pursued by an assassin, a world class assassin named Axminster. Um, and he decides to lay low by visiting his grandfather Harry in uh, in Colorado somewhere. Yeah. And uh, they track him down there, and so it's it's up to MacGyver and Harry to defend themselves from uh, from this assassin and his his gang of thugs. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't we go a little bit further in depth into our opening gambit here? It's a doozy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bizarre on so many levels. First of all, th- 
the kidnappers their their safe house is yeah their hideout is this beachfront with total, almost all windows yeah, in the front it's, it's straight beachfront property and it, it is it's just a wall of windows and and there's a huge party going on outside with, with they're playing people. volleyball 10 feet away from the window yeah it, it, there, there are so many there are too many witnesses and and to, to and add, they're still not close enough because one of the henchmen wants a wants binoculars so they can watch these women playing right. volleyball outside again so making it even creepier like because you would you would report that you would report there's some strange guy watching us from inside his house, and well, he probably paid a lot for that house. I think you deserve to watch people play volleyball. Yeah, at very, that point. but it's such a high-profile location. Yeah, and uh, this lady general's not even in a back room; she's in the front room, just facing the ocean, mm-hmm. facing all these windows, tied to or handcuffed to a chair with yeah. tape over her mouth. It, it's it's such a bitter irony to be in front of so many people but be a prisoner. Yeah. So MacGyver shows up and. We, we don't, you know, opening Gambit style, you don't know how he got to this. We assume that he has tracked her down. Yeah. And he picks a lock again with his Swiss Army knife. But different tool this time. Different but... tool. He uses one of the, almost looks like where the screwdriver comes out and like, is it's in the middle. It's like yeah, a middle yeah. range tool. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like, you know, Jimmy's there pops the lock open somehow. And he starts his setting up his little plans in the kitchen. Which he starts with taking some carrots out of the refrigerator yeah. which it's such a well-stocked refrigerator like these are very healthy uh kidnappers you know they got like some fresh carrots you know this is like john rich's house or something yeah it's like someone was just like well let's just use my house it's easier don't, don't go in my fridge though <laughs> yeah whatever you do don't eat my carrots and they were like let's make a point to eat them on screen yeah exactly uh so yeah because that's, that's the first thing he does he says oh look carrot you know, this is promising and he takes the carrots out and right away as a macgyver viewer you're trying to figure out how's he gonna use the carrots yeah so and he immediately puts them to the side yeah and starts uh setting up oh. <laughs> you 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 suggested he might be about to pull a mcgruber yeah <laughs> but um and if you don't understand that reference you should go and see mcgruber right now and understand yeah. how vegetables can be used as a distraction <laughs> um but anyway so he he pulls out a bunch of pots and pans mm-hmm. um and some uh ice yeah right and he puts the ice in a bag and then he puts the that on top of some more metal and he bounce he balances basically everything on this bag of ice yeah he makes this precarious stack of of really potentially loud items things from the kitchen um and then he goes and he grabs a big uh, bottle of vegetable oil and dumps it all over the floor and the music gets really dramatic when he's dumping it over like like he's under some strict time constraint yeah it, when it, he really has all the time in the world exactly that no one knows he's in there and they're too distracted by the the lovely ladies of Southern California. Outside. Maybe they intended to cut in an argument between the other two guys. Like, man, I really want a carrot. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should wait though, and then just cut back to MacGyver like panicking uh-huh. as he's dumping oil all over the ground. But yeah, and then he opens this uh, this like toaster oven, mm-hmm. and uh, I assume he turns it on with the door open. Yeah, he opens the door. Yeah, and it, he turns it to to max so that it'll melt this ice and then further disturb the structural integrity of this pile of pots right um as he sneaks around the building to the front side where all the windows are (laughs) where where more people will witness him now breaking and entering yeah another suspicious act like it maybe all these volleyball players are in on it like they're all part of the game it's all just it's just a setup yeah like okay we need we need to make this place look populated yeah so the pots fall over and the two kidnappers, armed kidnappers, mind you, right, uh, rush into the kitchen and immediately like banana peel, prat fall, slip yeah. on this vegetable oil, 
And, and they get so tangled up in these two stools that yeah. are sitting there, too. They just seem completely incapable of getting up. I mean, I'm sure the floor is slippery, but... But, yeah, I mean, you, there's things you can do. Like, they're just flopping around like fish. Yeah. Uh, MacGyver comes in and grabs the general, sees that she's handcuffed to the chair. Um, and he has this really condescending line, like, I'll bet you didn't tell him a thing, huh, general? I'm a general. <laughs> I don't like just blab military secrets. How dare you even joke about that? Like, yeah, yeah. It was such a it's such a weird line, and I don't understand. Are her feet also bound? Because like I, otherwise, can she stand up? Yeah, something? she could just like stand up. It'd be an awkward walk, but he could help guide her out. But instead, he just drags her yeah, out. Yeah, he grabs the back of the chair. He he wants to release her, and then he notices her her hands are handcuffed to the mm-hmm. chair. And so he starts to drag her out. Where at this point, if she's moving, if the chair is moving, yeah, the kidnappers are going to know that you were here and mm-hmm. that something happened. Why not take the tape off of her mouth? Yeah. If there's another person outside that he should know about, or some other trap set to prevent them from escaping this way, wouldn't he? Should just take the tape off her mouth. Yeah. The only the only reason is because they didn't want to pay another actor to have lines right. in the episode. Well, whatever. Uh, so he drags her outside, and uh, then uh, anticipating that the goons would come back in through that way and run across the porch. He pulls his garden hose. Yeah, which, yeah, uh, okay. It was, I, I'm trying to think of what I guess. I guess you would hose off your beach porch or something yeah, like that. Get the sand off. Hose, of it. hose off the sand, and uh, he immediately trips them and grabs a, a lounge chair and just kind of like. Covers them with it. Covers them with it. Like, he's, like, putting all his weight on them. Throws... And in slamming it down on top of them, he knocks one of their guns loose, which he just grabs and throws. But then he picks up the other one. Yeah. it's He picks it up, and now he's pointing it and brandishing it. Like, if you move, I'm going to kill you with this gun. Right. Uh, totally, totally not a MacGyver thing to do. Right. And we'll see more of that later in this episode. This is this is not your typical MacGyver this, this episode. It feels like... Um, they were kind of pushing some boundaries a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we also have, uh, he, he calls Pac-Man yeah. uh, to let them know that, uh, you know, the, the case is <laughs> under control. The general has been... Waka, waka, waka. Waka, 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 Pac-Man, I got, I got Pinky and Blinky here. Um, and he also, as he's throwing them to the ground, he says, Good dogs, which is the second episode in a row. He's, yeah. he's used that joke. But then you were saying it's just like the end of the junkyard deal where he grabs the phone nonchalantly, grabs the phone. And now keep in mind, there's all these people around who are seeing him pointing a gun at these yeah, two guys. Yeah, he would guys. get jumped by like four jocks immediately. Yeah. Um, but he grabs the phone, which again, I guess he's assuming it's connected to a phone line at this Right, it's out. just sitting outside on their porch. Mm-hmm. And he, it's pretty much the same line from the junkyard. Yeah, where, it's, it's very similar dialogue. It's, and, uh, you know, he, he even says it with kind of the same cadence. It almost yeah. feels like he even continued the rest of the conversation. Um, because in the junkyard, he says, uh, You know that diplomatic security case you guys put me on a while back? Well, I got it. And then here he says, You know that lady generally lost? Well, a founder. And then it freeze frames. But yeah, it's it's almost the exact same dialogue from the junkyard intro. And mm-hmm. it just feels like they just did a find replace on everything. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, junkyard uh, to beach house, briefcase to lady general. Call call it in. Yeah, we're good. We're good to go. 
and then we move into the episode, mm-hmm. which almost feels like another opening gambit to yeah, me. Yeah, it it's very bizarre because it's all done, you said it was, it's all done in voiceover. Right. The, the entire story of this opening gambit is told uh, by MacGyver, sort of after the fact, like, mm-hmm. oh well, you know, no sooner had I gotten that lady general back, which is how he he begins. A, a good number of the of the early episodes. No sooner had I done this than yeah. so and so called me needing that. But um but yeah, and he's explaining to us that he's been hired by I think at this point we're assuming the Department of Defense mm-hmm. um to uh infiltrate a nuclear facility in some Middle Eastern country. Right. And this could very easily have been an opening gambit for any other episode and I feel like it was getting repurposed as an introduction to the story for this episode. Yeah, it 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 doesn't fit with the story, and, and it doesn't so, fit with MacGyver. Yeah, and because at least in that the pre, in the opening gambit, we had him doing MacGyverisms. You know, right. he he set up this little trap, vegetable oil. Like he he did some he did some tricks. And this his trick is to have ready ready explosives that are already set to go off with time, with a remote. Yeah, he didn't trigger. have to make anything. All he had to do was sneak into this place and set some. Yeah, and it went, as he's approaching the building, he says you'll never guess what they asked me to do. And I wouldn't guess it. Like, he says it sarcastically, yeah. but I, th- I thought for sure this was going to be him breaking into a laboratory-type situation and stealing enriched uranium. Or, or or stealing, like, shutting down their computers or... Yeah. Like, doing something to to quietly resolve the situation in in a way that wouldn't hurt people, wouldn't damage, potentially, the environment in the planet yeah it wouldn't put people's lives at risk in, in the long term with yeah. with like fallout and that Be, kind of situation because then why not in the opening game why not just shoot the kidnappers and then yeah. rescue the general you'll then... never guess what they asked me to do <laughs> just two dead guys <laughs> the end um but yeah so he sets up three or four bombs right yeah it, 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 he, he sneaks in I mean, we don't see any people around but it's a facility that's it's got a It's a nuclear lot of, facility. They're manned 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's and there's lots of exterior security so you can assume that they're probably patrol. In fact, isn't that what that there's like the two there were two sets of fences with a concrete pad in the middle. I'm sure that that's a patrol route. Yeah. for dogs and stuff like that. So yeah. uh clearly there are people here. Yes. And he gets And when we say exterior, we should also mention that this is very clearly interior. This is a sound stage yeah. that everything's being shot on. I think that MacGyver in voiceover refers to it as a moonlit night, mm-hmm. as some kind of like a technical excuse for why there are no stars. Yeah, and and why we can see him perfectly. Yeah, and uh, but uh, it's it's very clearly a soundstage for the entirety of the shoot, and it looks like they could have shot it over the course of like maybe even a day. Mm-hmm. And the only the only thing they could potentially um, be telling any kind of a story from just the picture is this sign with this Arabic writing. Right. That, uh, and the, the classic nuclear radioactive yeah, symbol. symbol. Yeah. But, um, but aside from that, er- everything that we're seeing happen, we only understand what's happening in context because of MacGyver's voiceover. So I feel like this was probably an opening gambit. And yeah. They're like, cause we've, we've had such a drought of them lately that I think that they were just like, you know what? We're just going to have this as the instigating act for some sort of a revenge episode. Yeah. So um, MacGyver gets the bombs in, he gets back over the fences, and then he calls in whoever has the the trigger for these remote bombs. Well, he's got the trigger. Oh, did he, he, he sets he, them I, off? He sets them off, but I think I he... I thought he radioed someone. He, he radioed someone to let them know that, that he's about to do it and he needs to be picked up. Okay. And uh, then he, you know, he, he 
it, like it's a two set trigger. It's the you know the, you the safety, it and then yeah, it's got the safety release, and then thing. And he's watching it, and it's stock footage of some other movie. Right, and we we couldn't figure out what this is actually cutting to. We're, yeah, we're seeing it looks like these open liquid reservoirs. But the whatever liquid's coming out is combustible. Yeah, because yeah. it's it just bursts into flames the moment it, it escapes. Right, and then it's just explosion after explosion there, and and he's gazing on it with his takes his mask off, and he's kind of like going, all right. Yeah, look what I did. Yeah, it's essentially like, murdered a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And then and just fallout, like this yeah. is a nuclear facility. And you're just blowing it up into the air. It's a, that's a dirty bomb. Yeah. Like, also, this is a nuclear explosion happening in front of you. Like, at the very least, leave your mask on for protection of your <laughs> skin when it gets burned three layers deep. But uh, he's he's not even a hundred yards away from this exploding nuclear mm-hmm. facility, and he's just looking back on it with a big smile on his face. Cut to interior MacGyver's apartment again. Actually, we're not even interior yet. I think he's like coming home yeah he's driving his uh, jeep cherokee yeah the blue one right the blue one yeah so we're seeing him driving another car than the last time we saw him driving a car in last stand so it's a, now a different different car for him i think it'll be largely jeeps from here on out yeah because I, I i seem to recall that his his car of choice was the classic like no roof jeep um so anyway he's getting home to his apartment and he has a couple things in place to determine whether or not someone has intruded on his home. Right. This is the first time we see that he's paranoid enough to have exterior security uh, on his apartment. Right. And it's not clear what uh, exactly he has going on here, but his placemat is treated in some way that um, the entire surface of the placemat would show up under a black light. Correct. But if someone had stepped on it, then it would remove it would it would pull off whatever was reacting to the black light so that you would see the silhouette of a shoe to know that someone had been in here assuming it's some kind of powder of right. some kind that's the, that he sprinkled on the the doormat yeah which i mean it's weird enough that he has this whole system in place but that it works as perfectly as it does is almost equally disturbing mm-hmm. because whoever this was that went into his apartment stepped with both feet right next to each other on the mat mm-hmm. and, and then stood stepped there into the apartment and stood there and and opened the door and then took two perfect steps yeah. off. So it seems like they should have been offset or it should have just been one footprint maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, or multiple or couple, footprints like yeah. crossing over each other. Exactly. Like you like Because I'm sure the door was locked and he would have had to like crouch down and shift positions to, to yeah. pick it open and to get in unless he's got a key. But, but either way, MacGyver knows that this guy's here. So um, he goes inside and he does a quick like side of your eye glance to but, identify who it is and then pretend that he's not looking at him. Because he wants to be like the guy that's like, oh, well, I knew there was somebody in my apartment. But he doesn't initiate it. Right. The other guy initiates it. Yeah, he goes and he gets a drink out of the fridge and he just lets the guy bring up the conversation like, I know you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the, the guy is apparently coming um, with, with two intentions. Firstly, to thank him for blowing up this nuclear facility <laughs> on behalf of the department, which mm-hmm. we're assuming in this case is the Department of Defense. Right. And also um, to warn him that because he stupidly took off his mask for the most uh, the most brightly lit part of this event, which was the explosion, um, that his identity was somehow picked up right. by some agent there and that a hit has been put out um, and that they've hired notorious world-class assassin Axminster, Axminster. who MacGyver uh, recognizes as the assassin who took out he I, he calls him Sheikh Hussein, mm-hmm. who yeah. was killed in the middle of morning prayers, evidently. 
and it took 37 murders to get to Shane <laughs> yeah. Hussein in the first place. So he, this guy is, this guy does whatever it takes to get his target. Right. Anyone who gets in the way is just a, a casualty along the way. He's not a, prof- he's not that kind of professional who only kills his target and then goes, okay, done. All right. And MacGyver cares a lot about the ice cream store downstairs and wouldn't want to see anything happen to it if the whole right. building were to be blown up. Well, because uh, Barney, the the Colonel Barney, the, <laughs> that's oh, we don't have a last name, but he is he he calls him Colonel, Colonel and he calls Barney. him Barney. Uh, it says that Axminster would torch the entire block, right? And, and if it if it meant killing him. So MacGyver hesitates in bringing up that he's been planning a trip to go visit someone. Uh, Barney kind of inquire, inquires to who, but but for security reasons, MacGyver tries to just say just you know, leaves it out. Yeah. But being that they they must have some kind of a file on MacGyver, and he only has one known living relative. Exactly. You could probably figure it out pretty quickly who he's mm-hmm. going to visit. But um, Barney, we should also mention here, uh, is played by William Frankfather, who um, appears as Whitey Jackson in Foul Play, which is the uh, the um, albino villain <laughs> of the film. Um, but uh, also starring in that movie, Cooper Huckabee, who was Bill in Hellfire. Okay, okay. So, um, yeah. He's so, in good company. Yeah. He's also in uh, Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, like, I don't recognize that character, and I'm very embarrassed. Yeah, Sunny as much Red. As- as much I, as... It could have been just like a one-time appearance too, yeah. to make it that much harder to recognize. But the interesting connection between Briscoe County and this show is they're both Randy Edelman, Edelman scores. Yeah, they are. So, yeah, <laughs> a great composer. He composed two of my favorite television theme songs of all time. Mm-hmm. And another uh, completely insane coincidence is the fact that uh, in this episode we have William Frank Father, mm-hmm. who, um, as I just explained, played Sonny Red on Briscoe County Junior. Right. Robert Miano, who plays Axminster's sidekick, was uh, Sonny Red in Donnie Brasco. <laughs> which, when I was putting it together, I thought I wrote it down wrong. Right. I was looking it up. Brasco and Briscoe? Briscoe, Brasco. I thought I was screwing that up, but they played two different characters who just happened to both be named Sonny Red. Wow. One in Briscoe County Jr. and one in Donnie Brasco. That's, so, that's weird. I, I thought that was... <laughs> Too insane to not mention. No, and I ran into it. That's crazy. The next scene, he's on a bus, right? And he's with some weird. I don't understand the purpose of the scene. He's with some like kind of like hillbilly kind of guy who's reading a National Enquirer style magazine. I think really the purpose of the scene is that the next thing they had written was was Harry calling the house, telling him not to come. And mm. they needed to make it clear that he was already on his way. So they were yeah. like, how do we show that he's on his way? Well, let's show him on a bus. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's boring. Let's make him talk to somebody. Well, let's make it just a weird thing so that we don't have to deal with it later on in the episode. Yeah. It, 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 the, the guy he's talking to is reading an article about an alien baby that this woman had. Yeah, and... he's got a weekly world news kind mm-hmm. of thing going on. And and MacGyver's just kind of like humoring him. Yeah. But it, it, it does nothing. The scene does nothing. Yeah. And they're leaving California, and he's talking about trying to get out of the South to see his family because everyone in the South is so weird. Yeah. It's, but he's, he's leaving California. He says, that's why I'm going north. It's like, well, I mean, presumably the bus could, could make other stops, though I think the, the, the bus plate said Denver. Yeah. He's taking this bus directly from Los Angeles to Denver, it looks mm-hmm. like. So it seems it seems weird that this guy's saying, "Yeah, I'm trying to get away from Alabama. I'm going north." And it's like, <laughs> it's like you're going you're going you're closer. On, you're on a bus from California to Denver right now. Do you know that? <laughs> he doesn't know. Do you know he's reading. Look what he's reading. He doesn't. How know long that. have you been on this bus, son? <laughs> Months. 
<laughs> uh, but then the next shot is the phone in MacGyver's apartment ringing, right? And with uh, Harry calling. Yeah, Harry Jackson, MacGyver's grandfather, who ha- who maternal almost, grandfather, right? Uh, or else his name would be MacGyver, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's got to be maternal, and because uh, his last name is Jackson, right? And uh, so Harry Jackson calls him, but before he introduces himself as Harry Jackson on the phone, very formally, he almost says it's gonna be says it's your grandfather. So it's your, this is Harry Jackson. Yeah. Like he does because he doesn't like to say grandfather. Yeah, he's not big on the familial connections to people, and so, um, and he also uh, has a bit of a argument with the outgoing message of just like I'm not going to talk to a robot just answer your phone yeah. and then remembers what an answering machine is for <laughs> and then goes oh you're probably already on your way here huh that's probably why your answering machine picked up <laughs> well I was going to tell you not to come but oh well uh, yeah. by the way if you call me again which you already have a number to because right. you did before but basically the reason he knows MacGyver's coming is because he got a note from the general store mm-hmm. that said your grandson MacGyver called. He's coming to visit. And he says, if you need to call again, which at this point he's deduced yeah, that MacGyver left already. Exactly. So this message is to no one. It's to MacGyver when he gets back. And he says, if you need to contact me, you can call the general store again that you already called, whose number you already have. Right. And that number is, and he <laughs> gives him the number for the general store. The, this purely set up for Axminster's goons. Who to... are intercepting the call. And Correct. And recognize Firstly, that this 303 area code number is for the, the upper central Colorado area. Yeah. And secondly, that they actually call up the general store to find out where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, they're able to figure out the the basic vicinity that... That, uh, that MacGyver will be. Yeah, and where Harry Jackson lives. So getting off the bus, uh, MacGyver meets Harry, uh, played by John Anderson... Which there is no relation, as far as I understand, between, between Richard Dean Anderson, Richard and, John Anderson. Anderson and John Anderson. Correct. Uh, just a happy coincidence. Uh, but I really, really like John Anderson's character in, the, in because he's going to be appearing a lot. Right. We have four more appearances from John Anderson beyond this episode. Yeah. He he's such a great character actor. He. And I, he's he is the definition of a character actor. Yeah. Um, looking up his credits, he was 11 characters in 12 episodes of Gunsmoke, uh, six characters in six episodes of The Virginian. He's in four Twilight Zones, the original run of Twilight Zone. Wow. I think the most famous character from Twilight Zone, that he was Captain Skipper Farver from the Odyssey of Flight 33. And uh, b- before that, he was 11 characters in 11 episodes of The Rifleman. So. <laughs> just, just keep bringing him back. And, and never as a recurring character. Yeah. I think this is one of his first like major recurring roles. Um, on a series that's something it really is like just to forever be a different person uh even on the same show over and over and over again i wonder how often you like try and put like a completely new spin on it or if you're just playing yourself every time yeah just why bother you blend in well enough uh but i really i really like his look i like how he his manner of speaking his way of delivering lines he he's it's very natural i feel it's very natural and, and I, I feel the same way about Richard Dean Anderson, actually, that both of them have a way of selling everything, no matter mm-hmm. how ridiculously it's written. Like, if there's any, like, line that I would have stumbled over or, like, I don't even know how to read this and make it sound like a person said it. And these two can seem to knock it out of the park every time. Yeah. And it also feels like there's – there's um, the writing is definitely getting stronger at this point in the series. A little bit. And, uh, I, I feel not so strong with – 
the actual villain of this story. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, overall, maybe there's still there's still some problems, but this stuff with John Anderson, like you pointed out, where he almost calls himself grandfather and then he catches himself, yeah, stuff like that. I just feel like it, it gives it little interesting twists right mm-hmm. from the beginning. Um, but yeah, so he he meets up with uh, with uh, Harry Jackson, um, who he says he hasn't seen in 17 or 18 years yeah which if macgyver was 10 when they separated then mm-hmm. that would make macgyver 28 here <laughs> which i don't think is the case i don't think that is the case i think that that was some math that inadvertently got put in there because he says yeah he says in a line of dialogue i haven't seen him since i was 10 and then he tells harry i haven't seen you in 18 years yeah and when he was 10 uh the reason they they stopped seeing each other was a specific event there was a car accident that killed right. macgyver's father and his grandmother and Harry's Harry wife. Jackson's wife yeah his grandmother um but yeah so they hop in uh they hop in Harry's uh old, Dodge Harry's, pickup truck yeah his old old Dodge yeah and they uh they scoot on over to his cabin which looks like he built it himself yeah it's it's very very simple like there's a bed a kitchen yeah and no sign of a bathroom really yeah um it's just the studio apartment <laughs> made of Lincoln logs <laughs> And uh, and there's a lake nearby for mm-hmm. him to fish at. So and and that seems to be his primary food source because uh, when they're eating breakfast, these MacGyver offers to go. You want to go fishing? He's like, I already been. What do you think you're eating for breakfast? Uh, and then MacGyver says, We well, don't fish for fish. You fish for fishing, <laughs> which sounds like something a physicist would say. <laughs> it's also a mouthful. I wonder how many takes he did that in. Yeah. Well, I just did it in one, so well, that's pretty impressive. All right. Maybe it's not that bad. That was actually our eighth take. I just edited everything. <laughs> yeah, you, you just clever editing. Uh, meanwhile, Axminster has arrived in the area and has recruited what appears to be like a group of, I guess, other men. Like, cause at first, when we first see him, he's only got the one guy with him. Right. He's like his, basically his assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's got a whole bunch of guys and they're dressed like local hunters. I guess it's just a, as a guys, but they all have AK-47s, yeah. which I know is the preferred weapon for hunting. Yeah. Uh, you just unload on those uh, deer. Just tear them to shreds. Because <laughs> you don't have to cut them up this way. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, he, he's got them. They're ready to go in Jeeps. And they, the one guy's all, how do you, you want, want this MacGyver? MacGyver? Dead or alive? Dead or alive. And x dead. Which, uh... I feel like, and maybe this isn't the case, but it, it at least seems in places that um, Axminster's dialogue, uh, and Axminster, by the way, is played by Demitch Davis, um, that his dialogue is being completely dubbed over, mm-hmm. or in large chunks it seems dubbed over. And um, We know this because we hear, we've heard his voice clear, clear enough in another 80s. Right, <laughs> that came out around the same time. Yeah. Um, and uh, also stars a uh, former guest of the show, uh, Vernon Wells. Um, but, uh, yeah, Demitch Davis, uh, when I think, when I see a picture of Demitch Davis, I think of this particular line of dialogue every damn night yeah. from his appearance in weird science, which if you don't recognize that particular soundbite, it's, uh, it's from, uh, a scene in weird science where, uh, Gary as played by Anthony Michael Hall is explaining, um, that he had this crush on a girl and that he would call her 
fairly regularly, um, probably too often for Demitch Davis's taste, um, and uh, and that she didn't she didn't return his affections. Yeah. So, uh, well, he he because he he hung up he would hang up on her. Right. But um, and he also got kicked in the balls yeah. at one point. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that's what I think of when I see Demitch Davis. Mm-hmm. I think of that one scene in particular. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, so here uh, we have. Almost unnecessarily, an even deeper voice in places mm-hmm. being dubbed over his. Sometimes it seems to have an English accent. Sometimes it feels almost Austrian. Like, yeah. Like, like he has a line. Uh, it's a nice day for hunting. Yeah, it sounds it like just, Schwarzenegger. It feels Schwarzenegger to me. But um, but yeah. So I'm not clear if the, if it was his voice and he was just affecting it some way for the show, or if he was completely dubbed over. Either way, they set him up like he's going to be a recurring villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I know, Demitch Davis does not come back. Neither does the character of Axminster in any yeah. in any other form. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, Axminster and his and his guys are sort of sidling up to the the cabin, the cabin. and uh, and they do one of those where you. you you show people inside and you show people outside and they kick mm-hmm. in the door and we realize that these these two scenes are taking place hours apart. Yeah. Um, MacGyver and, and Harry are, are out fishing on the lake while Axminster and his men are, are throwing the place yeah. around and yeah, they to find people. Yeah, they breach the cabin with an awkward roll. Yeah, he kicks open the door, which just kind of falls off the hinges. Yeah, like just <laughs> this guy does this like semi-cockeyed roll like three quarters of the way through the house mm-hmm. it doesn't even make any sense <laughs> it's such a small place you had to be careful you might roll right back out right he just comes out the back door <laughs> but uh yeah so um we move down to um macgyver and harry having a conversation on the lake um about about family yeah about family and about why he left um a little bit further um disclosing this their their situation that basically um macgyver um, basically didn't have a father um, or a mother at that point. Yeah. And I don't know if it's clear yet what happened to the mother. It, they, they don't say, they just, you know, Harry just says that that she was taken, you know, yeah. like, like as in God. By, by the God. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, we don't know, we don't know how long even she lived because Harry left when MacGyver was 10 and, and his dad died when he was 10, so within a year, right? Uh, well, he, the, the grandmother and the dad died while in Harry a, was still around, and right, that's when Harry cards. left. Right. And he was sending money back to MacGyver and his mother from Alaska. Oh, okay. But we don't know then when the mom died. Oh, okay. Like the, it, uh, presumably also when he was young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're fishing, and um, they catch something. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to pull it up onto the boat when Axminster and his men find them out on the lake and start yeah. firing on them. Yeah, which which the first shot is what breaks the line. Like they when they're trying to pull the fish out of the water, yeah. the shot actually cuts the fishing line. Yeah, pretty intense. Um, which was a, both a nice shot and a terrible shot. Yeah. Um, and then MacGyver dives out of the boat, leaving Harry, leaving Harry just a victim. <laughs> and uh, he spills shortly after MacGyver does. Yeah. But uh, it just seems like. The typical MacGyver would have tackled Harry out of the boat. Exactly. Or it, something like that. It seems, I'm wondering if it was just like a badly timed stunt that they couldn't do over. Yeah, so he was just like, I'm not going to jump out of this boat again. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, because like, if you both have to jump in the water at the same time, on a boat it's tricky. You know, you've, sure, if you've yeah. been on a rowboat, it's, it, you can, your balance can get thrown really, really easily. Yeah. And 
the time it takes them like to get back into the boat, dry off, and yeah. then do the scene again. I'm sure. I'm sure it was just they had one it's take like, to do this it. This one's fine. Yeah, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, but uh, so they're getting shot at, and uh, MacGyver um, sort of uh, devises this um, this log with two reeds sticking mm-hmm. out of it that he thinks will look to the assassins like two people trying to breathe underwater. Right. Which I think we've seen James Bond use at one point or another. Um, I don't know if he ever used a reed. I know he used a tire in uh, in oh, a from view, the car. To a, view to a kill. Yeah. Like they drive him off the cliff and he uses the, the air from a tire. Um, but yeah, either way, he sets up this log to make it look like two people are breathing underwater mm-hmm. um, to draw the fire away from them while they make their escape right. sort of on this backwoods trail. And um, Axminster and his men buy it hook, line, and sinker, mm-hmm. to use the fishing terminology. <laughs> um and uh, start firing on these reeds, and then Axminster sends them to go investigate when the thing like crashes up on shore, and they realize yeah. that this Eventually. was a trick. Um, uh, while on the run, they discover a Yurtika plant, or a plant of, from the Yurtika family. Right. I did a little, my little bit of research that I did on that was there are some uh, plants from that family that have some like f- uh, folk remedy kind of things. They have like really sharp needles on yeah. the leaves. Um, and I guess like you apply like it's the stinging and whatever oils are on it, like it stings into your skin and it's supposed to help like certain things. Right. But in this, he uses like the actual sap as uh, he a tranquilizer. It. Yeah, he says it's some kind of like neuro neurotoxin that will, if it enters the bloodstream, just it just knock them unconscious. Yeah. Not necessarily kill them, but knock them unconscious. Yeah. And Harry sort of understands he just intuits oh you're talking about making a blow dart and mm-hmm. was like that's what i was thinking and so uh they set up this blow dart on sort of this like drainage ditch on the side of a road mm-hmm. um so when which, these... which which makes me think that they're actually much closer to civilization than they let on than they let on yeah because if this is a road that's traveled enough to warrant like there's like five drain holes in this thing yeah um it just seems like they they got to be close close enough to someone yeah but um, these two henchmen come down the down the river, somehow following their track in water. Well, they they that's what the, Harry the track leads to the water. Yeah, Harry said we should set up a trail for them to follow right. to get them where we want them. Yeah, but uh, they're still they're moving through the water at this point. Yeah, already. yeah, yeah. Like they, I I guess they would. My only grasping at straws assumption would be that they're checking out the drain pipes to see if they were hiding in them. Yeah. So it's like you, know, just so they're just walking along. And even if that was their plan, it seems like they're kind of careless there because they're not necessarily looking down the pipes. Like mm-hmm. He could easily have been shooting these tranquilizers from within the pipes and still hitting these guys. And the second guy isn't unconscious enough for Harry's taste because <laughs> yeah. Harry sort of lumbers out, lumbers out with, with <laughs> a, a big log. log and just cracks a guy in the head. And then MacGyver goes to meet him there and, and he turns to MacGyver and, he, and he's just got this like real pleased look on his mm-hmm. face and he goes... You had to hit him just right. <laughs> it's just such an awesome line from him. Um, so he's uh, a maniac. Yeah, he's great. Uh, they hear Exminster coming, and so they 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 hightail it. At this point, uh, Harry's kind of losing his patience with MacGyver because nothing has like he's being forced to bring up all this family history stuff, but MacGyver hasn't bothered to explain anything about why he's here or what's going on, why these yeah, people are chasing him down. Exactly. They're being shot out and he doesn't have any information. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, MacGyver tells him it's, it's, it's about peace and freedom, which is not, 
Yeah. It's I mean, a, it, these are this is about peace and freedom and and people that don't like either one or what does he say? People, yeah, peace and freedom and some people who don't like either, which is like, no, you blew up their nuclear weapons facility. Like, yeah, it's you as as much as that was something you were hired to do. They have a legitimate case against, grievance against yeah, you. Yeah, this is not. They don't hate peace and freedom. You hate peace and freedom because you're the <laughs> one who blew up their stuff first. Um, uh, but people while, should have the freedom to make their own nuclear weapons. But you disagree. <laughs> you MacGyver. And Axminster's assistant says they're still alive. Should we pick them up? And he's like, No. No. So they're leaving these two henchmen who have been knocked unconscious, face down in a river. Yeah certain doom I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine yeah um, like, my, my, my concern would be once they wake up are they going to try to what are they going to do like are they going to continue their mission do they try to find Axminster yeah they, they set wanna... up a blockade on the road and like MacGyver and Harry think they're fine coming back down the road yeah it's like there they are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they, they don't know that the the at least from Axminster's point of view that the, the hit's been terminated yeah uh, their next plan is to take out one of the jeeps which is a little it's a very awkward set of cuts of the montage of putting the plan together and the plan itself doesn't really make sense right macgyver climbs this tree because they're assuming this jeep is going to drive right under it as Mm -hmm. he's delivering the final chopping blow to this branch yeah um and in the meantime he advises harry to put together um, a dummy, a decoy yeah. of a human to throw in front of this Jeep because clearly these guys are good Samaritans and if someone were thrown in front of their Jeep they would slam Swerve the to avoid him. So it, it could have been, he could have just thrown a rock, a big yeah. rock at the Jeep or and got them to nothing. swerve. Yeah. Because it doesn't even matter. They don't even really swerve. They just hit whatever he throws and then drive under the yeah. tree that they would have driven under anyway. He says make it look like a man. It's just—it's just literally a it's bundle just, of branches. It's just a vest with sticks coming out of it. It looks nothing like a person. It looks like someone's throwing a backpack. Yeah, it, it's impossible to tell what it is. But it's definitely not a man. That's all. It, if this is a man, then you're throwing Bob Oblong out in front of my car. Um, oh, great reference. But uh, but uh, so the the jeep ends up coming up, but MacGyver is chopping away at this branch. Yeah, MacGyver's chopping at this branch. And they could have. They were fine with the cut that they had. Of he found him. a he found a sharp rock mm-hmm. before he climbed up this tree. And they, there's a shot of him sitting up in the tree, whacking at the tree branch with the rock. Right. That's all they needed. But then they do this cut. I guess they felt like okay, they wanted to insert to get a tighter ankle on it. Yeah, and but the insert is clearly a person standing up in front of a log that's on some kind of like a table or something yeah, it's like, like some, across two saw horses yeah or exactly because it's rolling around as he's hitting it at the very least they could have strapped the log down better for <laughs> yeah. the swings. but every time he hits it you see the log twist and roll back and forth mm-hmm. and it's like this is not happening in a tree right now yeah it's it's very odd placement and i felt that they should have just cut it out but they didn't yeah they could have left it just the wide shots and it would have been way more convincing we would have got we would have understood right but um, so, inevitably, this jeep comes rolling down the road, and uh, Harry's at the ready with his decoy, <laughs> his decoy bundles, and uh, he throws it out in front of the jeep, which doesn't—I don't think it even does swerve. It, it, it doesn't make any kind of course correction that would have affected the branch part of the plan. I don't think so, because it's because they because the only course correction that seems to occur is once the branch falls onto the jeep, they dive out. Yeah, 
and then dive back in. Yeah, (laughs) that makes no sense. So they drive under the branch that MacGyver's been chopping away at. Um, It breaks loose just in time to clip their windshield. Mm -hmm. Like it just drops right on the hood of the car and smashes their windshield. They swerve off the road um, into this ditch, and the guy who was previously driving it Get, is thrown out of the car in the crash. You see him fly off screen to the right, yeah. and then suddenly fly back into the screen. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a impossible trajectory. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a magic person, my man. Sort of magic bullet. He he yeah, flies out, and he's like, oh okay, the scene's over. But then all of a sudden, uh, he he's and he's still going ah as yeah. he rolls back into frame. And then MacGyver and Harry sort of inspect the scene, and, and MacGyver's disappointed because he thought they were going to get a jeep out of this, which, if your plan was to get a jeep out of this, why not drop the branch before they get to the tree mm-hmm. and then jump down on them from up in the tree? Yeah. Like, the way that they do it is almost intentionally causing a really terrible accident, mm-hmm. and they end up totaling the jeep in, in, as a result. So back, So continuing on foot... They, uh, MacGyver starts picking up some pine cones. Uh, Axminster finds the other Jeep, uh, disabled, and the two guys, not unconscious, but like kind of like moaning and moving yeah. around, like and he's all two more down. And yeah, they're clearly still alive, though. Axminster has nothing but uh, contempt for his, for his assistance. Every time anyone's like remotely injured, he treats it like it's uh it's a live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow. Yeah. It's kind of like edge of tomorrow. Anytime somebody breaks a leg or something, it's like, all right, you're dead, basically. You're essentially dead. I'm going to move on now. Mm-hmm. MacGyver's plan is to use these pine cones now as little mini grenades. Yeah, he's using the pine cones as, as pineapples, to borrow the military term. Yeah, it's it's this is, not, this is a little bit of a stretch. Like, I mean, it's not outside of the realm of impossible but in I, this... I think it is i think it's impossible <laughs> what they're what they're doing because but... you, know, you throw a pine cone in a fire it does pop. it makes a pop sound but yeah. it doesn't shoot flames everywhere no no like it's an explosion i i can only assume that because they set up this like pine pitch what he calls a landmine right uh in the spot where he and he gets the jeep to stop by throwing a flaming pine cone in a in a direction to get him to slam on the brakes and then throws they they, they roll like three or four underneath. Yeah, them. trying to ignite the the pine pitch mine that's underneath. Right. Um, the only thing I could think of that was going on is that just the heat from it is blows up the gas tank. Maybe. I mean that that's the only thing that makes sense because yeah. yeah, pine pine sap is very flammable, but it's not. It, it it's not it just going to. It looks like ex- they just threw a grenade under this. Tank. Exactly. Um, but in the midst of throwing one of the pine cones, Harry gets shot. Uh, it great... looks like a much worse shot than they treat it. Yeah, it's it's like in his side. Yeah, and MacGyver uh, says, oh, they just grazed you, but it yeah. looks like the blood's coming out of like his gut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now Harry's injured. Uh, they've disabled the enemy jeep. and <laughs> Now we're down to Axminster and a couple guys on foot. Yeah, and, this is, and the, I think one of his guys says, like, I guess we're walking too. And the X-Men's like, no, we're running. We'll run them into the ground. Yeah. But then when the next scene you see him, they're walking. Yeah. He's like, I thought you were running. I changed my mind. We're, we're going to walk them into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to walk them in. Uh, Harry had told MacGyver that there's a town nearby called Evermore. And uh, there's a secret there. No. Um, <laughs> a raven told him this. <laughs> but when they get to the town, it's long abandoned. 
there's there's no one around. Even though Harry did say that there was a phone line there, so you think they might have some. He kind said of... they just got a phone line, which implies that there's at least people there that are intending to like rebuild the town. Yeah. But they, he's like, oh, but they just got the they just got a phone line up here, and he and he makes it sound like it's like a big deal, half dead. Mm-hmm. And half, yeah, but yeah, he also makes it sound like, oh, this is a civilization. They got a phone line in here. Wake me up when Google Fiber pulls up out front. Yeah. <laughs> That'll never happen for us. I'm so depressed. It's oh, not going to come out this way. Yeah, Harry, Harry's wounded. MacGyver makes up a, like a home remedy antibiotic out of... He's using pyrite as part of it. Yeah, like cause he says it's got iron sulfide in it. Right. And then he mixes it with clay, I guess, to adhere it to his skin. I don't know how he pummeled the rocks down enough, but it's a... Uh, that's what he does, and but him and Harry have this kind of touching moment, and and finally Harry is is disclosing the the real reason behind um, him having disappeared, which was that MacGyver reminds him, reminds him too much of his daughter, who at the time had passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're led to believe that she's dead by the time Harry leaves, right? Um, and that he doesn't he doesn't want anything bad to happen to MacGyver because stuff terrible things seem to be happening to everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and he kind of complains about himself and, and regrets the decision. Yeah. And MacGyver sort of tries to correct him and says, like, look, nobody talks bad about my grandpa. Like, like I forgive you and I understand mm-hmm. now. I just needed some kind of an explanation. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the killers come in. <laughs> Interrupting this, this fine family moment. Yeah. Their only option in this town now is to make a stand. Which, again, much like the attic... In the previous episode, this is a town full of stuff. I mean, MacGyver, right. MacGyver thrives on junk uh, MacGyver stuff. Yeah. <laughs> junk, junk MacGyverisms. And it seems like his first plan uh, involves a property of dust that we kind of touched on yeah. um, with the Thief of Budapest episode. Right. Um, which is that any kind of a powder um, aerated like fl- floating through the air is mm-hmm. capable of of uh, what macgyver in, in this bit refers to as spontaneous combustion mm-hmm. um which i usually think of as being one of the the sort of legendary like people spontaneously combusting. yeah like spontaneous combustion to me is more of like there is no trigger yeah but grain dust explosions they believe have a trigger whether it be static electricity yeah or heat of compression which is a big deal because but i guess any explosion technically does have a trigger so yeah it's impossible to for it to be entirely spontaneous right but so he decides he's going to sort of turn the bottom floor of one of these buildings into a grain silo mm-hmm. um by just dumping flour into it through a funnel that he's jammed into a hole in the roof yeah um, meanwhile harry has rigged up a curtain with a string to kind of like make it look like someone's peeking through right to, to lure them closer to it. Right. And so, he, which he calls a parlor trick. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it works like a charm. The uh, Axminster and his, and his fellas come into town. Um, Harry starts wailing away on a pipe. Like, yeah. Kind of far around a corner. I felt I felt like it might have drawn their attention away from the window. Right. But it seems to work. Um, he pulls on the string and the, the window shade moves. And they start firing into the room. And then as they approach it, that MacGyver's able to set everything off. Yeah, he dropped... He, the same funnel he had been f- filling the grain dust or whatever down through the hole, he just drops a match. Yeah. And that just causes... It's not a huge explosion. I mean, it's just... It's, it's a big It's a big, pop. It's big enough to catch them off guard. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, Axminster and his last remaining henchman, his his main his main guy, the assistant... Right. Uh, they come running, and Harry... 
throw some pine nuts into a flaming cauldron that start going off like gunshots, which once again draws one of them away. Yeah. And he once again, lumber in hand, yeah, uh, hits him over the head. The Harry the Skullcracker. Mm-hmm. He just uh, knocks the guy out, and I'm trying to remember his uh, his Schwarzenegger esque follow up yeah. line. He just says like, "I got him good" or something like that. Yeah. Got him good. It's just he's such a great character. <laughs> I love that. So this leaves only Axminster, who has now made his way up to the rooftops, because he plans to get the literal drop on MacGyver. Right. And he does. He he comes flying off from off screen and MacGyver and him have a tussle. Uh, MacGyver manages to kick his gun away. AK, it's like not, not good for like hand, hand combat. Yeah. Well, first he, he jumps on MacGyver and they wrestle for a while and then he levels the gun at MacGyver first. Mm. And then Harry jumps and tackles him away. Um, But yeah, then MacGyver takes up the reins of like wrestling this Axminster character while Harry's like coaching him, like, "Oh, get him over, get him over to the side a little bit." Right, because he had he had previously cut one of the support beams in half. To they're, a point. they're wrestling basically under the deck out in front of a building. Right, and MacGyver has cut one of the beams near near completely in half so that he can tackle it out and drop this deck on the porch. Mm-hmm. And so he's maneuvering Axminster into place while they're wrestling and kicking his gun away. And then Harry gives him the, the signal that it's time to get out from under this thing because right. it already looks kind of shaky. Mm-hmm. And uh, MacGyver tackles the support post out, and then it just collapses on Axminster. Yeah, Knock, knocking him semi-unconscious. Again, one of those movie TV things where they're, they're still conscious, but then they just go, Ugh. <sighs> They just stop moving. And so now Axminster is unconscious, and uh, Harry will soon be dead from his gunshot wound. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got sepsis. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's bleeding out. And uh, credits. I, yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I know you just assume... you can do, it, Things must be wrapped up in some sort of a legal and paperwork-inducing way. Exactly, because <laughs> the next scene is MacGyver getting on a bus leaving and saying his yeah. goodbyes to Harry. As but, far as we know, there are four unconscious henchmen somewhere in the woods. May, and, maybe, maybe a few dead ones. <laughs> yeah. Probably dead by now. And Axminster is still lying under a pile of this deck. Because as we know, there are grizzlies apparently up in yeah. these mountains. Yeah. Harry claims <laughs> he was chased by a grizzly. I doubt this 70 year old man survived a grizzly bear chase, but that's what he says. Cause that's the whole thing is you're not supposed to run. Yeah. Right. Like, aren't you not supposed to run from a bear? And his explanation for surviving is that the grizzly bear just gave up. Because it was like, why am I chasing this old man? Because <laughs> like, I'm a bear and yeah. I want to eat oh, him. Oh, that's right. Because I <laughs> survive on meat. And because he was throwing pine nuts at me. <laughs> <laughs> he's just instigating. He's literally poking the bear. <laughs> I, could, I could see him do that. Uh, you got to hit him just right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so then it, MacGyver gets on the bus, and it's clear that the the relationship between these two has been semi repaired, mm-hmm. and MacGyver's headed back to home because the chances of the these uh, Middle Eastern terrorists hiring another assassin just yeah. there's no way that'll happen. Well, once you once you hire Axminster, if Axminster fails, right, then you're probably going, uh, okay, yeah. we'll let it slide. Maybe we should hire MacGyver to kill MacGyver <laughs> since he's clearly the only capable. He'll person. never see it coming. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know if Harry was a planned character to reoccur or if this was like, oh, we should give MacGyver some family stuff. It feels like anytime you bring on a person to play a family member that there's some indication that this person's going to come back. Yeah. It's... If so, it was a good choice. Right. Like, to give MacGyver, like, this... Just... Just something. Just someone, I guess. Yeah. Who's consistent. Yeah. Because every, every other episode, he's, he's meeting new girls. He's He's got no... Yeah, there's not a lot of casts coming back. Exactly. Which finally ends with our next episode. Uh, right. With the introduction of Dana Elkar as Pete Thornton. Yeah, there's going to be... This is going to be very exciting, because now there's going to be some stability to the show. Yeah. He's, he's going to be... He's going to have people he has to answer to. He's going to go places on missions report in we're gonna have a better understanding of of the hierarchy that yeah. he's working under um yeah but so yeah this is his last kind of solo or semi-solo i mean he'll he'll go off on other crazy things with like jack dalton and all that stuff like too right but th- this this is more of his last like i'm an agent for hire by the government and you couldn't name my boss if you tried yeah and Starting next episode, we'll know exactly who's in charge of him. Mm-hmm. He's got a handler. Yes. And we got the impression in the pilot that he had a handler. That, in, in Michael Lerner as a yeah. like that, that, that the But ever since then, he just seems to just do stuff for whoever asks him. Yeah. Um, we don't even know who asked him to blow up this facility. It was like... Yeah, when he says the department, he could be referring to like some foreign agency. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe like Afghanistan hired him to blow up this <laughs> nuclear power plant and he's actually a terrorist. And we don't even know. We don't even know. Oh, MacGyver. Uh, but this episode was... It was okay. It uh, had definitely had some like flaws as far as just like editing and cutting away to, to weird inserts and... Yeah. Uh, I don't feel that some of the characters were slushed out as they could have been. Uh, I do really like the family story. I like that, that we're getting a sense of more of MacGyver as a person because while he has been fascinating to watch, I feel this is the right time to start introducing more about him. Right. And so we, and we get that, we get that with the family tragedy of, of the loss of his parents and we get his grandfather who, who is his only like, his only line to whatever life that he had his childhood, yeah, whatever his origin story is, mm-hmm. which will get divulged further in, in future Harry episodes. Right. Um, and this is actually our last episode from 1985. Um, oh, so okay. we're yeah, crossing December, over yeah. into January. Uh, so the, uh, next week we're going to be covering season one, episode 11. It's called nightmares. Um, and, it's the first 1986 episode. It's our first uh, Dana Elkar episode. Mm-hmm. It's written by James Schmierer, who wrote this and who has written other uh, stuff yeah. for the series so far. And it's directed, it's our first one directed by Cliff Bowl, who um, is actually going to go on to direct a large chunk of the series. Um, as I was moving through uh, future seasons, it right. seems like two, three episodes in a row stretches are Cliff. And uh, he's, he's going to be a, a big creative hand in the future of this series. So that'll be exciting to get to that. Yeah. So Nightmares next week, Season 1, Episode 11. And uh, I think that about wraps it up for this one. So thank you again for listening. Thank you. Thank you.